right, welcome to another episode. This is episode nine, by the way. First generation bow hunter. This is what you're listening to. Thanks for subscribing, joining, and sharing with your hunting buddy who are just getting started in bow hunting. Uh, I wanted to share a funny little story. I was on the Archery Life, 106,000 followers on this Facebook page, and I just did a simple post. You got to join because I want to hear your your answers here. I said, describe your first bow hunting season in three words. And oh my gosh, the responses I'm getting. This is super fun. Uh, Tell next year, says Eugene. Steve Smith, 50 years ago. Holy smokes. Ryan Olson, Dad, I'm cold. I think that's one of my favorite ones. Uh, Glenn Nash, pick a spot. And Mike Johnson, spooked all deer. So join me on Archery Life. This is a massive Facebook group. A lot of first-generation bow hunters on there. But with me today on Episode 9, this is the topic we're covering. Brig Nielsen, he's an endurance athlete, primarily in mountain biking. Brig, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. All right, so the reason why I brought Brig on, I want to give a little background. Well, Brig's going to give a little background on <laughs> on his mountain biking uh, career. No, I definitely a hobby, for sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it's a legit hobby because here in Utah, if you've ever flown into Salt Lake, you're going to look to the east. You're going to see a mountain range called the Wasatch. Now, Brig and I, we live north of Salt Lake, and... You're going to leave what? What elevation are we at? We're at 4,500? Yeah. And then what do you ride to? Well, I mean, sometimes we'll... We usually go all the way up to the ridge line, you know, to up to 9,500 feet. Or if we're in... Well, yeah, it's usually around there in Park City or wherever we're at. It's about as high as we go. I don't know of any that go get up to all the way up to 10,000, but... But Brig, like, you leave your driveway at 4,500. Yeah. Like we're all getting breakfast burritos and hitting the gym and Brig is on his bike 4500 and you shoot up to 9500. Yeah, up to the, the How many side. miles is that? Yeah, it's about a 50 mile ride from the doorstep to go up there and back. Round and, trip. Yeah. And the the vertical that you climb, I I've done that trail, that particular one, like a fraction of it, like 184th of it. But Tell me, how did you work up to something like that? Because that is a huge feat. Uh, like the endurance part of mountain bike. That's what a... There's all different kinds of mountain bikers. There's, you know, you got the guys that like to ride the big bikes and go downhill and everything in between. There's an enduro now where they climb up and then they time them on the way down. The guys that ride like I do, the cross-country guys, it's all just about... we. I wouldn't say we enjoy going up as much as we go enjoy going down, but it's kind of where it's at. We spend most of our time pedaling up the mountains and just seeing how far we can get. And let's take a step back. How long have you been riding? I mean, I call it career. You call it a hobby. Let's meet in the middle. This is semi-amateur. How long have you been in this level of riding? Because it's, it's a high level. Yeah, I think mountain biking is... Uh, a lot of people have probably noticed is really getting popular now, and uh, as the bike technology changes, so has the sport. And I would say, in the uh, well, I don't know, early two thousands, it kind of started progressing a little bit more as the bike started getting better. But it's really, it's really only been since like 
2010 to where the bikes have become, you know, really light and 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 uh, the geometry on them and just they're just built to go miles and miles and and they're light enough to do it. They're almost as light as some road bikes and and uh, and yeah. you've been going about 20 years or so seriously. I mean, at this level. I would say more 10 years probably of really hitting high miles like that. I've been mountain biking for a long time since, I mean, when I was a kid in college, I, mean, I lived in Bellingham, Washington, and I I think that's, I can remember mountain bikes, I don't want to say when they first came out, but it seems like that was. <laughs> when they made them with two yeah, wheels. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I think what's interesting here too, and you might be listening to this and being like, why are we talking about mountain biking? This is a bow hunting podcast. There is so many parallels. I Okay, there's Brig here with me. He's what he calls hobbyist. If he's a hobbyist, I'm like, I don't know what I am. I'm a super beginner then. I'm very chill. I, I assist coach on my, my daughter's mountain bike team. But I have found a lot of parallels with bow hunting and in this endurance sport, mountain biking. And that's why I brought Brig on today. First off, I want to start talking about training. I mean, what are you doing? Let's say you're at peak season. What, what's peak season for you? Like August, July? Like when your competitions are? Yeah. So this year, uh, for instance, in the first week in August, we are in, uh, my son and I and a, a group of guys, we got into a race called Leadville. And that's probably the I would say it's one of the premier endurance races it is the premier endurance race I think in the country and uh it's a 104 mile race and it starts at 10,000 feet and then kind of goes up and down to 12 and back down and so I think in the day you you put in about I think it's around 13 14,000 feet of climbing and 104 miles but it's all at elevation so it's quite a challenge well, so we'll be training by the time that rolls around. We'll be putting in big miles for July. June and July will be really big miles. And I think for bow hunters too, you're at those high elevations as well. I mean, your highest elevation you're at here in Utah, 95, 10,000 feet. How do you train for that 12 to 14? Do you feel that difference? That's what I hear. So uh, th this race is really unique as most people don't live in a place where they can actually train at that elevation. And so I think we probably have as close as you're going to get just getting up. Uh, I mean, Utah's kind of a mountain biking Mecca, but a lot, a lot of, we'll, we'll go pre-ride it in uh, probably late June, early July and just see, get an idea of where we're at fitness wise. And uh, I've, I've heard some people go there and, blow up i mean uh they uh we call it i don't i don't know what it is in the bow hunting <laughs> world it, it's called the dreaded bonk where you just you just run out of energy you're done and that's what we're trying to avoid well and when you're starting out in bow hunting for for those listening this is a very deceptive sport because i think even with with biking it's like okay your race is 55 miles long here's the route all of that Here's the deception with bow hunting. And again, this is, again, why I brought Brig on. 
there's this deception of, I'm going to go in three miles. Well, let's call it four. Well, shoot, let's go six, because that's where I saw the animals. Okay, now we're in six. All right, I got an animal, got an arrow in. Well, it took off. Now I've got to track it. Now I've got to do this. A couple other things. To, it's a very unpredictable sport. And I think with yours as well, you're, you're dealing with unpredictability with like elevation of, hey, you can only max out your elevation so much. I had the actual adverse experience. We trained in Denver, my wife and I, a road biking race. It was 5,500 feet, mile high city. Guess where the race was? Bo- oh, Boise, Idaho. Oh, nice. Which is like 600 feet. Yeah. We got there and we, we wanted to do it twice. Yeah. I mean, we hit the 60 mile and we were just like, you want to keep going? You want to do the century? I mean, it was it was funny, but what what kind of training techniques do you use with your races? How do you kind of ramp up to kind of peak? What do you do? So mountain bikers um, and cyclists in general, but um, we have something called the FTP. It's functional threshold power. Whoa! And so you will you that is a number that you can control by your training. So. Um, that basically is a measure of how much you can put out at an average measured in watts per hour. I know that sounds kind of technical or whatever, but it's basically just saying how much can you put out, the most you can put out at an average for an hour. And then once you get that number, then we break it into zones. There's five zones based on your heart rate. Mm. And from that, you can know when you ride. So, for instance, when I'm, we were talking about riding up to 10,000 feet or whatever, 9,500 feet. If I'm on a ride and I know I'm on a 3,000-foot climb, I know I can look down. I'll have a heart rate monitor on, and I'll be, I can monitor my heart on a little bike computer I have while I'm riding. I can look down and go, okay, so I'm in, I'm in zone four, right? I'm in... Um, uh, they call that threshold, and I can't stay there very long. If I do, I'm going to run out of energy mm-hmm. really fast. And so you get to know how far you can push your body. The heart rate helps. The monitor helps. And so when we train, um, you're trained to push that threshold, the FTP number, that functional threshold power. We train to push that higher and higher because that means we can hold more watts for longer and longer. So we go faster and faster. So you're just increasing your baseline. Increasing our baseline, yeah. And uh, that there's uh, some days you go short and hard, you know, and some days you put it, we call like in a tempo ride where you're just cruising along at a pretty easy heart rate. And um, those would be long days where you just do a lot of endurance. Mm-hmm. So if I was a bow hunter, like you're talking about endurance, yeah. I would think when you're out there, you would want to be in that zone most of the time, that zone three, we call it, where you're zone two even, where you're just, your heart's not working too too much, and but you're able at that, at that, uh, at that zone, you're able to go forever, so. Well, and that's what we find too with the unpredictability of bow hunting is you look at a ridge 600 yards away, you're like, that's where the animals are. You got to get there. And I think sometimes our adrenaline will kick in 
because you have this weapon in your hand, you have the sharp broadhead on the end of an arrow, and you're like, yeah, I'm getting after it. Like, this is happening. That can only carry you so much. And I think that's the message I want to share with listeners today is you've still got to put in that training because the adrenaline has carried me, but then I'll get to that top of the ridge or I get an arrow off and I have completely expended all my energy. So now I have this 200-pound animal. That yeah, you got to cart it out. And I got to like process it, which is exhausting. <laughs> Just itself, like getting the hide off, getting all, you know, the insides out, and then you're packing things up. I've literally got it winded just processing an animal. I haven't even gotten on the pack yet. I haven't even walked <laughs> down the trail yet. So you're talking about finding. So how do you measure the FTP, these, these levels? Is it, you know, like on a cardio machine? And you st- like, how, how would you measure FTP? It's easiest to do over the winter time. That's kind of over the winters where we, we put in that kind of time because you're on a, a trainer bike indoors on a computer program, Zwift, we call it. And, and uh, it measures it for you real easy. It can put you through a test and show you where you're at. And you can establish those baselines. And um, so you know where you're at going into the season. And uh, which is just basically like right now is starting. We're starting to go outside and start putting laying down the miles. And, and those will just increase and increase as the uh, months go on. So you don't want to peak too early. Um, yeah. Uh, you don't want to peak too late either. I think our seasons align pretty well because most folks are doing most of their hunting mid-August, September, October. And so we have winter to really prep, spring even. I think one thing is the shed hunting in spring. We go out, we look for sheds. It's fun, keeps us you know engaged. But I think one thing you could layer into your training is watch your heart rate, understand what those five levels are, and then train against that. Yeah, I think if you, th- I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about um, what a bow hunter would be doing, and I would think if you're if you're running up a mountain, <laughs> sometimes in, you are in 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 brush. Like you got to make ground. I mean, that would be comparable to me, like out of the saddle sprint going up, going up a, a mountain bike trail or whatever, and you can't hold that for too long before you start blowing all your matches. And that's an analogy we use. It, when you go into a, a bike ride, um, you picture it as like you got a box full of matches. That's, that's your training. That's what you've put in. And you know you got this box full of matches, and you don't want to light the last one until you're done with the ride. Yeah. And so if, you're, if you do a sprint too early, you burn too many matches, and, and you don't have enough left for the end of the race, and you'll, you'll end up bonking and and that's never fun. I, I've had that experience where I've just basically, literally, had to get off the bike because I just couldn't move my legs anymore. Like I just, you just sit down and you're just, you're just completely sapped of all energy. And it, and it doesn't have anything to do with how great a shape you are, because um, you could be fit as you've ever been, but if you don't have the right nutrition and water, and you've and you've uh, pushed your heart too hard too early. Um, you're not going to be able to finish. A lot of nutrition we see in bow hunting is like wilderness athlete, mountain op, uh, bucked up. It's these, I'll call it, you know, high caffeine. Some of them are low sugar or no sugar, but they are very high caffeine driven. Mm-hmm. 
what is it for you and what do you recommend for people trying to, you know, sustain energy for a long period of time to, in our case, get back to the truck with this big animal on your back? What, what nutrition and brands that you, do you like? Well, it's kind of funny. Uh, a lot of us, uh, a lot of people go uh, all over the place on that nutrition. You, you basically, all the work you do to train and, and build those power numbers I was talking about, that's just like your money in the bank. And that's, that has to be there before nutrition even counts. You mean like your body, physically, cardio, muscle yeah. has to be in place? It has to be in place or the nutrition's not really going to. I mean, you're always going to have to have the right nutrition, but if you can't, um, if you don't have the fitness to do the ride you're trying to do, then it's just not going to work. And that, and and you do start doing bigger and bigger rides, the better your fitness gets, and then you're, you start dialing in your nutrition. On a bike, your body really can't process more than about, believe it or not, 100 calories in an hour, and so. If you're taking in, you know, if you're taking in a ton, I, I remember when I first started getting into this, I had a friend and he did a race at Snow Basin and it was a, they don't even do this race anymore there, but it's a 50 mile loop and he was so worried about running out of energy. He just, he just chugged all these energy drinks and yeah. he had so many calories. He probably put down a thousand calories <laughs> and he couldn't even move about halfway through the race. You know, he just... He was just so. Um, so you got to take down. you got to take in those nutrients, but also expend them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're no matter what you're doing, your your body's really only going to be able to process uh, about a hundred of those calories an hour, and that would be the same thing for bow hunting. The biggest thing is water and electrolytes, and so if you're out there sweating, if you're a sweater and you're out there sweating as you're running up and down those mountains uh, and you're not replacing your water and your salt, you'll, that's what will, you'll bonk from that faster than anything. What's up with pickle juice? Is that big in mountain biking? Cause I know it isn't running. The, I, I don't see, well, no, it's not true. Some, it's some aid stations on some races you'll see pickles. And uh, sometimes I've seen, um, they'll have like a little, shot glasses of ramen just full of uh cold ramen just because it's just so salty you know and and uh the pickle juice is just the electrolytes in it that's what they're using and and uh but if you if you run out if those go bad on you if you if you're salt um if you sweat a lot and then you see salt marks and i do this um if you like leave salt marks on your shirt or whatever like that you're just losing so much you have to replace those or you'll be you'll be out of you'll be done. That'll that'll finish you faster than anything. The big thing in bow hunting too is layering correctly. We we deal with cold temperatures, then mid morning it goes up ten degrees, and then mid afternoon, maybe another twenty, and then in the evening drops down back again. I mean, our layering is all over the place. And this is something I covered in the previous episode was being thoughtful of of your layering. But that's interesting, though, noticing salt spots. I notice them in my hat. Yeah, yeah. You're, if you're losing salt, uh, salt and water are by far, and especially water, I mean, you need to, when you're cycling, we want to be putting down uh, a bottle an hour. And so take a race like this Leadville race I'm going to do where you're, if you finish under eight hours, you're like doing 
that's a really good day. You get this big belt buckle that we're all shooting for. <laughs> if you finish between eight and twelve hours, it's a littler belt buckle, but it's still pretty, pretty cool. But if you think about that, you need to put down um, eight to twelve water bottles um, in the ride. That's a lot. And, yeah. Uh, and so for me, when it comes to nutrition, I'll, I'll I'll kill two birds with one stone. I'll put the a drink mix in the with the water that has all the salt and electrolytes I need, and calories for me. I, I'm going to train this year and try and get my calories from this drink mix. Some people can't do that. They've got to add solid food. Sure. They've got to. They'll. I, I ride with a guy who sometimes will pull. He'll like pull a banana out of his back pocket and put that down. And I say I couldn't do that. That would just throw me for a loop. Uh, a lot of guys do the goose. I, I don't. You guys probably do the goose when you hunt. I don't know if you do those for quick energy. I've or, tried them. Yeah, I, I've but, done some solids too, like Cliff Bars. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like a meal, but you know you're kind of tricking your your body a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I've even seen riders that they'll boil those little small potatoes and just cover them in salt, and they'll keep them in a little baggie in their back, and they'll come out and they'll just plop those things in. Wow. And uh, they just love it. You know, I, I've tried that. It's okay. I've just, I seem to do, I personally do better when I don't have as much in my stomach. Um, but yeah, you definitely got to get the water and calories. So I think when you're bow hunting too, like sometimes we have to be thoughtful of what we carry with us. But I've even brought like a small jet boil because if it's super cold, I want something to fall back on where I can make like a hot meal you know, two, three hours in, but I like the, the mashed potatoes, instant potatoes idea Mm. of a way to get salt. And I think that's a good learning for those listening as well, where you've got to add that salt back in. I I never thought of that. I didn't think that was so important. You know, I think water, I think, you know, caffeine to some extent, but yeah, there's, there's calf. We, that's a big one in cycling too. You'll kind of save those those goose shots that have the caffeine in them for kind of like the last couple hours, you know, kind of wake you back up, give you a little jolt. You have to be careful with the salt too, because you can way overdo that. Okay. It's, uh, you literally during your training, you just have to get to know your body. Cause like I could be riding, I ride with a, a guy all the time and he and I are just totally different, you know, and the way our bodies respond. I sweat a lot of salt, so I have to be on top of it, or else um, things just don't go well for me. I, you know, I'll bonk pretty quick. But if I stay on top of that and I watch my heart rate, I can go for hours and hours and hours, and it's not a big deal. So in these training months, I think it's really important to even understand how our body works and know, hey, are we sweating out salt? The other thing I think is a little bit of a trickery for us, I mean, for bikers, you guys have your bike, your kit, your your clothing. It's it's pretty set. Bow hunting, it's a little different. You got to think about if you're going out in the spring, you're not carrying your bow with you. You might have a pack. You might be in shorts. In the fall, you're going to be totally different layers. You're going to be full boots, full pants. So training for us has got to be a little bit more thoughtful. That's something I've told in previous episodes as well train like you'd be out there on a hunt you know and that's how you should shoot your bow have your binoculars hanging on your chest all of that because that's how those shots happen and we we have to prepare for that let's talk about recovery kind of wrap this up how do you deal with recovery and and also 
how far apart do you do these big training sessions? Uh, we'll build up usually all week long to like a, I'll usually do a big Friday or Saturday ride. Um, a really, probably a really big one on either Friday or Saturday and then a slightly big one on the other day, whichever. And then Monday through Thursday will be, so for instance, I'll do 20 mile rides Monday through Thursday with different amounts of climbing. Um, two of those days will be a little less climbing and two of those days will be more climbing. And then um, Friday, you'll, you know, this year, it's, those Friday rides are going to have to be ramped up quite a bit, 50 or 60 miles. In fact, I've been thinking about riding from the house here in Kaysville to my work at, at Research Park at University of Utah because I could get on the, believe it or not, you can get on a trail system that would take me all the way there. I've done that trail system. Yeah, I, it's, so, you know, it's really, it's funny in Utah, I think you can ride all the way from Ogden, which is, you know, 50 miles north of Salt Lake, Salt Lake Airport, all the way down Salt Lake, south Salt Lake, down to like Provo, Spanish Fort. I think yeah. that trail system covers. They're working on it now to connect it. There's right now you'd have to get off it a few times to get on the actual main road. But if you do that, then, yeah, you can connect all of them. So, And the message there, I think, in, well, especially if your you know, day is a little bit more flexible, working from home, or if you're back in the office, sneaking in those those training sessions. I, I think so often we, you know, don't take it too seriously, and we think, oh, we'll just kind of cram for the test, you know, right before hunting season. It's just got to be this year-round type of ritual. Yeah, I think I, I think I was telling you about a friend I have at work. We're we're spoiled here in Utah because we can literally walk out our back door and we're in the mountains. And he's a he loves to hunt. He's into it like you like you are, and I'm sure most of your listeners. And I watched him every day just take off, hit the mountains in his boots, preparing for the uh, the bighorn sheep uh, tag he drew. And and uh, uh, he he trained every day. I was on a bike, but he was in his boots. He's doing the same thing I was, but he was. He was hiking the trails and I was riding. But did he ever do like a weighted pack or those chest packs with the weighted plates? Yeah, he would. He would some days he would have his pack and he would just prepare to to get out, get after it. And uh, a lot of the whole point. I, I know I made it sound like really technical with all the bike computers and all that stuff, but the whole point is to get to a intuitive point to where you can feel your heart, you can feel your body, you know where you're at. You know how hard you can push yourself. And after a big week of, you know, training rides and then a couple of really big rides, for me, I always take Sunday off. I have the day off on Sunday. And recovery is all about water. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you just want to get as much water as you can. The calories, your body, if you listen to your body, you'll eat as much as you need. Um, I mean, I guess you could overlay that too. But when you're training really hard, it doesn't ever seem to be too much of a problem but but i mean you still you want to watch what you eat but as far as the calories i i mean you just gotta get them in yeah you get them in but that water is i've as i've gotten if i as i've learned about this whole fitness thing when it comes to mountain biking and 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 it's gonna be the same thing for anybody that wants to push their body it's first um sleep (laughs) okay you got to get sleep yeah your body needs sleep and then you got to uh, drink enough water 
and uh, you got to eat right, and then training. And those, believe it or not, that, that nutrition actually becomes comes before the training. So you if you get you got to get enough sleep, nutrition, and then train, and your body will be ready to roll. What percentage of sleep do you think falls in that importance? Because I've heard people say things like it's ninety percent of what you eat, ten percent of how you train. <laughs> but they not not too many people talk about sleep. Where do you think sleep falls in of a percentage wise across juggling all those? I think sleep's number one. Yeah, I, I really do. You really have got to get your body. Uh, Especially as you get older. Like uh, when I was a kid, I wouldn't have never thought this, but I wish I would have known it when I was a kid. But yeah, you, uh, your body has to get the sleep it needs. Now, it doesn't mean you need it when you're doing the event. Like if you prepare for the event right, and when I, I'm assuming when you go to that hunt and you're probably on your feet for long, long hours. Oh, yeah. But if you prepared for it and uh, just built up that reservoir, um, especially when you're training, your body has to be able to recover. So you asked about recovery. Sleep is when you recover. So you make sure your nutrition is good and the sleep is so important. I've learned the, like the hard way that, uh, that just how important sleep is. If you get the right amount of sleep and, and then you're, you get your recovery and take care of your nutrition, l- literally training comes after that. It doesn't mean you can't, don't have to train every day. But the other two are actually just as a more or more important. And when do you go to bed and when do you wake up on, on average? I mean, whether it be a training day or a rest day, what's that look like for you? I'm like an eight or nine hour guy, which is kind of crazy because when, we when I was just a young dad, when we were first married, I was probably getting like six, you know. Interrupted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe if I was lucky. And, but uh, now I'm like, I'll make sure I get at least eight or nine hours of sleep and and let me ask you this, because I've heard this a few times when it comes to sleep. Are you, what are you doing with your phone? Like 30 minutes before to bed, an hour? Because I've heard some people will not look at their phone an hour before they go to bed. Yeah, I've heard that too. My wife's into that. Uh, I, I'm like a, I don't know how I did this, but I've just trained myself. I'm a read, I'll read. So I'll pull out the Kindle or whatever, and I'll, I'll usually read. So I guess that's technically I'm getting screen time, but somehow I've trained my body that when I start reading, that means it's time to shut down and go to sleep. And so I'll read literally for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, and then I'm just really tired, and I'll just knock off. Is it the Kindle of, like, the black and white screen, though? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah. I think that's a good screen to probably look at because it really is like a book. Yeah. I've heard when we look at an iPhone – the way those bulbs and the screen illumination, it's like stimulating the brain. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. I've heard the same thing. So if you're looking to switch up some some sleep habits, I think that's something we could all get better at. Pull out that Kindle. I know it's probably under the drawer next to the shelf, <laughs> under yeah. the dog bed, in the garage. Yeah. We've all got a Kindle laying around somewhere. And uh, if you need some reading material, Atomic Habits by James Clear, one of my favorite books. That's what helped me get out of my type 2 diabetes scare about five years ago. Atomic Habits, definitely give it a listen. And uh, I think some people may have struggles with that too of, you know, Netflix binging before mm-hmm. bed. And how long have you done that sleep routine? Oh, man, it's been a long time. I, I think I've been doing that for... 
man, most, I think it's probably 20 years I've been reading before I go to bed. I don't know. I just basically trained myself to, I mean, I didn't do it on purpose. I just, it's, it was a way to relax. If you can relax your brain and then you, I think your your body will shut down and it has to, you have to get the sleep. That's where the recovery comes from. Do you also think that relates to getting rid of anxiety and stress? For sure. Definitely. And this one thing I've also shared too is, uh, you know, when you're bow hunting, it's a very emotional, uh, getting closer to God experience. And that is what I felt before. When I have stress, when I have anxiety, my body, it's like it hangs on to it. Yeah. And I've heard this before from, from some doctors where they say, yeah, our, our muscles will hang on to anxiety. And that's why we have sore muscles. And yes, we train and yes, we lift and all these things, but you stretch, you do recover, you do all these things. If you're still sore, what emotional baggage are you hanging on to? And that's the question I want to leave you with is think about what are some things you've got to tackle? What are some things you've got to let go of? And I promise you, when you get down to that moment where you've got to release that arrow and hit that animal the right way, everything matters. Everything comes down to that moment. And if you're hanging on to stuff, you're jittery, you're shaking. I've been there. I've missed animals before many times. And uh, I think it's good to talk about sleep, actually. I think it's the most non-fun thing to talk about because it's like, well, no, you got to do 55 pull-ups a minute and, <laughs> and uh, yeah. drink this and chug that and marketing on... Instagram hashtag this and this athlete's doing that. We get sucked into that so big, just like any other industry. Yeah, that if you think about it, nobody really ever talks about sleep, but everybody does it. You, th- you think it's like this. You think <laughs> we all suck at yeah, it. <laughs> you th- think it's like this thing you do. This this. But if you're if we wouldn't sleep if we didn't need it, our body, your body has to have that sleep. There's so much that happens. They're just still learning about it, you know. Um, I I've learned it's. I've honestly gone on rides where I'll look down and I'll be on the same ride I was on the day before and I'll look down and I'll see my heart rate and I'll be maybe 10 beats, 15 beats higher and I'll be thinking, what, what is going on? You know, I, I haven't, my nutrition hasn't changed. The only factor that changed was how much sleep I got the night before and it's amazing how your body responds to that and so, yeah, the like the week, probably the week before the big race, we'll try and shut down. Wow. And maybe just do like little half hour, maybe an hour, easy rides and just sleep and drink as much water as we possibly can. And just getting your body, it's literally like charging your battery for the big day. So I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes probably that happens with hunters is if we get so excited about this hunt maybe we only have five days to hunt depending on your season we get all sorts of jacked up it's like the the opposite (laughs) and we are charged up we're shooting our bow a ton we're whatever we're doing that is such great advice especially as you're going on some massive rides i think it's super relatable that we have got to power down and and dial down let me ask you this last one thing this is something i've been more curious about lady Lately, are, are you doing anything in a, in a hot sauna? Do you, do you do that? Do you work that in to the gym at all, that type of recovery? No, I don't. I, there's, um, as far as recovery goes, uh, there are, I do know some guys that ride that do the um, yoga thing. and it's Hot yoga. 
I don't even I don't know if it's hot yoga. Oh, it's just yoga. Yeah. But uh they uh I I know it's something I need to do. I just haven't incorporated it in, especially as I get older. Um I've always been fairly flexible, but you, you, that doesn't I think a lot of people use the yoga actually in the stretching in the same way I use reading, you know, it just decompresses them and it makes it easier for them to rest and sure. t- takes them to a good place. But, I mean, I mean, my wife does yoga all the time. She's always trying to get me to do it, but I just haven't gotten that route yet. It's funny you bring that up. If you're interested in learning more about yoga and how it helped me in my journey, listen to episode two. That is uh, what I talk about, actually, mm-hmm. is how yoga has helped me be more mobile and flexible. But I got to tell you, walking into a yoga studio when you're you know, a big endurance athlete, biker, bow hunter, whatever you are, you just swallow a little pride, yeah. <laughs> get on in there. But to, to kill two birds with one stone, that could also release some emotional anxiety as well. Hey, we don't need to get into it, whatever, it's fine. But that, that can help release that, and I think that's also incredibly important. Yeah, Rick, thank you so much, and thank you for listening. This is episode nine, talking about how to train like an endurance athlete with Brig Nielsen. This guy is a machine, and I'm glad that you could <laughs> you could share some of your uh, your knowledge with us today and some very actionable things. Watching about the functional threshold power, how to measure that, how to find your baseline, and and maintain that, and also sleep. Sleep, <laughs> you don't you wouldn't think of it. It sounds so easy, right? But yeah, it's pretty important. Sleep and nutrition. Put those put those iPhones down. Quit binge watching bow hunting videos on YouTube at night and uh go pull out the kindle go read uh go go read an old read maybe some jack london and uh power down the right way all right brig thanks so much for being here next time we are going to be on episode 10 make sure to subscribe on apple spotify stitcher all different podcasts we are live on every podcast directory as always you can connect with me on instagram if you disagree or agree with me on anything Drop on Instagram, Adam underscore Buchanan. That's spelled B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N. Also in the show notes, make sure to fill out the Q&A on Spotify and answer the poll. Curious to hear what you think about how you're training. I want to hear those responses. Thanks again and share this with a hunting buddy next to you.